Let's read together from God's Word today as we continue our studies in the book of Luke. Chapter 18, we're going to be looking specifically at verses 18 to 34 this morning, but I'd like to read from um, verse 18 specifically. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, All these I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come. Follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, looking at him with sadness, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But Jesus said, What is impossible with men is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. And taking the twelve, he said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spat upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what was said. Sometimes we come across situations in life where we feel overwhelmed, like going to the dentist. And the only way to get us through that is to see the bigger, the bigger picture, right? If you don't go to the dentist, you walk around with no teeth one day. Which is interesting in the run-up to this last game in the finals of the rugby that on radio interviews they were speaking to a psychologist and she was saying that there's been a spike in this last week and a half in the number of people who've come to see them for stress related things. People couldn't handle what was happening to them. Too much. And they even, I don't know if you, any of you saw the interview with a woman who had to really take some serious hold of herself because she was just losing it. And the way they tackled that was to see the bigger picture. Steve Hansen this morning said, worry is a waste of emotion. You've got to see the bigger picture. Well, we've got a bigger picture too. And it's good to be reminded of the bigger picture from Scripture. Because when life happens to us, 
If we don't see the bigger picture, we can, carry, we can get carried away by what is happening to us and it overwhelms us. So I don't know what's happening to you this week. In the Lord's timing, He's brought us this specific text that we're going to be looking at. And I pray that your ears will be opened and that you'll take hope from this text. So we're looking specifically at verses 28 to 34 this morning. I wanted to specifically start with Peter's response to what the Lord had said to the rich young ruler and to the disciples. Because Peter's response is interesting and the Lord picks up on it. Verse 28, Peter said to the Lord, We have left our homes and followed you. What's he actually saying? He's actually saying, well, to enter the kingdom of God, we've done this for you. So we must be okay. We are poor. We've left our homes and followed you. We're okay. Maybe there was a bit of a touch of anxiety there too. Lord, I hope we're going to be okay. And Jesus responds to him. He addresses all the disciples because Peter was not alone in his thoughts. And Jesus spells out for them the benefits of this cost that they have paid to follow him. Verses 29 to 30, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. What was Jesus doing? Jesus was giving them the bigger perspective. Yes, you've given away your homes. Yes, you've followed me. You've left your businesses behind, Peter, and the rest of you. But the bigger picture is, I will look after you. God will look after you in this life, and in the life to come, He'll give you eternal life. That's the bigger frame. That's the big picture. However, there's a bigger picture still, and that's why He continues, he takes his disciples aside and he says, we're going up to Jerusalem. And when when we get up to Jerusalem and he speaks in the third person, they will take him and they will do all kinds of things to him for your sakes. There's another bigger picture here. It's even a bigger frame than the one I've spelt out. You see, their sacrifice on his behalf was paling into his insignificance when confronted by the reality of events that would happen in Jerusalem. There was a far greater sacrifice that would be paid. Yes, they would have to give up all these things for the sake of following Jesus, but look at what the Son was going to offer up for His own, including those disciples in front of them. He would bear the wrath of God for the sin of His chosen ones. He would bear separation from his father. He would give his very life. Could there be a greater sacrifice? You see, when it comes to sacrifice, perspective is everything. So their sacrifice pales against his. Let's look at the sacrifice he would shortly make. Verse 31 to 34. It was an imminent sacrifice. We are going up to Jerusalem. We are on the way to Jerusalem. He wasn't just speaking about on the way up to Jerusalem because they had to climb up from where they were in Galilee. 
up to Jerusalem. He's speaking about what will happen up there in Jerusalem. This is the beginning of the end of the road, he's trying to tell his disciples. There's a seriousness about us going here. Are you ready for what is about to happen? There's a further sacrifice that will be made. Are you ready to witness that sacrifice? You see, many pilgrims would approach Jerusalem and the Feast of Jerusalem with an offering of worship. Here was the Messiah bringing himself as the supreme offering, walking up to Jerusalem where he was to be sacrificed. He was not under compulsion. He was coming on his on his own. He was coming freely because of his love for his disciples and for those who he would sacrifice himself for. He did not waver, but he walked up. But he was trying to prepare his disciples. Are you ready, he says. It was also pre-planned. His sacrifice was pre-planned, verse 31. All things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. Those are beautiful Future perfect tense words. There's no if here, there's no maybe, there's no possibly. It will be accomplished. There's our hope. You see, while many religions today claim their books to be divinely inspired, the Bible is the only one which contains prophecies about Jesus' birth, His death and His resurrection, which can't simply be explained away as chance. Many of these prophecies were written over 600 years before they actually happened. You try predicting what's going to happen next week. I'm going to give you just a few examples. I'm going to look at the first reference, but I'll put them up here. And if you want them, I'll supply them for you later. But I'm going to give you the Old Testament reference, the prophecy and then in the New Testament where it came true. And you're going to see that God's word can be trusted. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 said this, 600 plus years before it happened. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrata, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days, 600 plus years before. What happens in Luke chapter 2, verse 45, in the New Testament? This is what happens. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Where did that happen? In Bethlehem. Where had it been prosper- when had it been prophesied? 600 plus years before. Think of all the historical things that had to happen between those, those two events. The prophecy and the event. It was a whole Roman Empire that came about. And events in the Roman Empire that came about. And Herod who was chasing people around. Killing babies. And yet it happens. Isaiah 7 verse 14 said, Many years before, He shall be born of a virgin. Luke chapter 1 verse 26, exactly that happens. Hosea chapter 11 verse 1, 
It says that from Egypt is where God will call His Son. And that's exactly what happens. Herod chases. He wants to kill the babies. And Joseph takes Mary and they flee to Egypt. And from there, He comes and starts His ministry. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5 said, Way back, He would be scourged. Matthew chapter 27 says, That's what they did. They whipped Him. Isaiah 53 verse 12 says, He will be executed with criminals. What happened? He was nailed on the cross between two criminals. Psalm 22 verse 16 said, very specifically, hundreds of years before, He would be pierced in His hands and feet. And in John chapter 20, they nailed the nails through His hands and His feet. He could have had an accident on the way from Galilee to Jericho sometime. He could have been robbed by robbers and killed. But no, these specific predictions happen. Psalm 22, if you thought that was specific, here's a more specific one. His garments will be gambled away. What happens, Matthew chapter 27? At the foot of the cross, the soldiers gamble his garments away. Isaiah 53.9 says that he would be buried with the rich even though he was put to death as a criminal. Now that never happened. What happens? Jesus dies. A rich man offers his tomb. Jesus is laid in that tomb, although he was crucified as a criminal. Psalm 16 verse 10 said that he would be resurrected. What happens on the third day? Mark chapter 16. The Son of Man rises up from death and The prophecy comes true. We can be here all day and I can recite even more for you, but I won't. There are so many prophecies that came true. Isaiah 35 says, if you want to be specific, it reveals the kinds of miracles the Messiah would perform. You see, there was something bigger happening here. There was a bigger picture at play. God, the Almighty One, was accomplishing all these things which were written through the prophets about the Son of Man. God was making them come true. Jesus was making them come true. Jesus himself was making history happen right in front of them. He was creating history. Think about that. Isn't he the one that was there right at the beginning? The creator? The one who everything came forth from? He spoke the word and it happened. Well, here Jesus does the same. When he speaks, he's creating. He's creating history. Prophecy is being fulfilled right in front of their eyes. Past predictions were deliberately being created into reality because Jesus could see the end from the beginning. Isn't He the Eternal One? He could see what was happening. The Son of God made flesh was creating in front of people and they couldn't see it. And there's great hope for you and I in this fact that God makes History happened. What does it mean to you and I that the cross was not an accident? It was deliberately made to happen by God. Well, it gives us hope for what is still to come. You see, there are many prophecies that still must come true. And if all these other prophecies have come true, what stops the rest from coming true? One great prophecy I look forward to is this one. Revelation 22 verse 7. I hope you're looking forward to this one. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. 
Are you looking forward to that one to come true? Do you live daily looking forward to that prophecy which is still to come true? If you're not a believer here today, you need to live in fear, but also live in hope. Because if you come to Jesus Christ, there is still time. That prophecy has not yet come true. You need to come to Him today before it does come true, because then it will be too late. Come to Jesus Christ and be saved while today is called today. Come. There's a third matter about his sacrifice. Here Jesus as the great prophet with the capital P, great prophet of all time, foretells particulars about his torture, his death, his, the involvement of the Gentiles or the Romans in this case. And he makes very specific predictions. One of the parallel passages to the one we're looking at is in Mark. And there the Son of Man, it says, will be betrayed into the hands of the chief priests and the scribes. Specifically then, they will condemn him to die. They will then hand him over to the Gentiles. Gentiles will mock him, spit on him, he will be scourged, he will be killed, and then three days later, he will rise again. That pivot of the Christian faith. And Jesus knew that He would be resurrected and that our faith is based on that resurrection. And without His resurrection, we have no Christian faith. Jesus knew and He predicted these things. And then He rose again on the third day as He had prophesied. And these ignorant Jews and Gentiles, and I'm using it in the nice sense of the word, they didn't know what they were doing. They thought they were just killing a man. But in the biggest picture, what were they doing? The sacrifice, the atonement for them themselves, the Gentiles, for the Jews, and for any who would come, including till today, they were making that sacrifice for themselves by killing this man. Jesus Christ. And so, here's the great lesson for us, that even the wrath of man will fulfill God's plan and purpose. Nothing can happen which will surprise God. Everything works towards His plans. He is the sovereign God, isn't He? And so, in your life and mine, if things are happening that you can't understand, and they seem like evil things, all things work together for the good of those who are loved by Him, the loved ones. If you are loved by Jesus Christ, all things work together for your good in His eternal plan. Have hope. Don't give up. Don't be overwhelmed by what is happening to you. He knows what He's doing. Our sovereign God is in control. And then there's the fourth thing to do with His sacrifice. Look at this. He protects His Disciples. Now, you might not see it at first glance there. It looked like they were just being dumb as usual. They couldn't understand what he was saying. But there's a little phrase there. And I want you to note it. Look at this phrase. Let me just find my phrase. But they, verse 34. But they understood none of these things. This saying, look at this. This saying was hidden from them. And they did not grasp what was said. So yes, they were being their dumb selves, 
bit slow to grasp what Jesus was saying and doing right along his ministry. But there was something else at play here. You see, Jesus was protecting them from the awful horror of what they would soon see. He was kind of revealing to them in installments. And so as they're about to walk up to Jerusalem, he says to them, are you ready? And he tells them what's going to happen. If they could physically see at that moment what was going to happen, I wonder how many of them would have carried on the road with them. You see, there's another verse in John chapter 13, verse 1, which still remains true till today. It says this, Having loved his own, he loved them to the uttermost. His love for them was always there, right through this process. Even as he was hanging on the cross, he loved till the end. He handed over his mother to the Apostle John. He cared for people. You see, these apostles would not and could not understand how the Messiah could die. It didn't fit into their picture of his role. Their expectations of the Messiah kept them from seeing the real picture. They were so intent upon the prophecies which spoke of God's glory and the Messiah's glory that they overlooked those which spoke of his sufferings. They were so intent on the Messiah and seeing the Messiah revealed that they didn't remember that Jesus had warned them that he would suffer as well. And that they would suffer later. And Jesus' destiny in Jerusalem was simply incomprehensible to them. They had seen him performing these good deeds. They had experienced his life-changing presence firsthand. They had believed him to be the Messiah. But how could God's Messiah be crucified? It doesn't figure in our picture. Their lack of understanding... It's not a lack of understanding, but it's not comprehending the size of what was happening in front of them. They didn't grasp the significance until after Jesus had been risen from the dead. And there on the road to Emmaus, walking alongside Jesus, he explains to two disciples, and then they understand. Jesus was protecting. I want to leave these questions with you this morning because, you see, our perspective needs to be wide when it comes to God and what He does in our lives. We need to kneel at the foot of the cross where Jesus died for us. We need to kneel at that cross. And if we're kneeling at the cross with Jesus Christ in our lives and working in our lives, we will gain a different perspective on everything that happens to us. And the first question I want to, to put to you this morning is, when you're kneeling at the foot of the cross, how does your sacrifice compare to His? You see, so often we are tempted to bemoan our lot. And we talk about everything I've given up to be a Christian. How big is your sacrifice compared to the one He made for you? It pales into insignificance. What did Christ sacrifice for you? What did Christ endure for your sake and my sake? How much did Christ deflect from my shoulders and your shoulders? And remember my favourite word from last week? What is it? Starts with a P. Come on, people. Propitiation. Big one, eh? There's only a few of you that remembered that. It's a bit of a worry. Propitiation. That's what Christ reflected from us. 
deflected rather. What is that? He covered my sin completely and He pushed aside the damnation of God, the judgment of God that was due to me. He took it on Himself. That's propitiation. And when you sit at the foot of the cross, how big is your sacrifice compared to that? And yes, your family might not speak to you and your friends might not want to mingle with you as much as they want to, as uh, what they used to. But how big is that sacrifice compared to what Jesus has done for you? Secondly, when you have to foot the cross, do your false expectations of who Jesus is prevent you from serving Him? What do I mean by that? You see, we need to be reminded daily that Jesus is the Son of Man. He is God Himself. We forget that so quickly. And when we've got a small picture of Jesus Christ, then everything else will pile up around us. And we will get the wrong expectation of the work that Jesus Christ can do in and through us. But when we remember that He is God Himself, then it won't matter as much that we don't just cling to the good bits. But it won't matter as much that there are bad bits that happen to us in our Christian lives too. The hard things come against us. You see, if God is in control, if He is the Son of God, then He is with me and in me through those situations. But then I need to have a big view of Him. Many times when we've got a small view of God, we're hesitant, we're hesitant to step out in faith. God tells us to do something, but we're not sure. We don't step out. Many times we shy away from ministry opportunities because we cannot guarantee the results. I take, for example, youth group. We've been asking. People need to step up. These are our youth. And I'm not railing with you, by the way. I'll change my voice. I'm not rowing. But how big is God? Has the Lord been speaking to someone here? Because He will be speaking to someone here among us to step up, to serve Him. But maybe you're just not sure. I'm not sure how I'm going to handle all these youth. I don't know what to do with Him. How big is God? Will He not assist you? And there are other of us who can get around. Don't be afraid. How big is your God? Step out. Say, I will do it. And then see what God does in and through you. You will be amazed. You will stand back. You will fall down at the cross. And you will say, thank you Lord. I didn't realize what you could do. And I'm pretty sure Michael and Lisa, having served these seven years, they must come before the Lord and say, we never saw what the Lord could do. And as church leadership, we've seen how many of the youth have grown. And we say, we could never have seen this. But thank the Lord for faithful service. Because we trust Him. How big is your God? The one that you serve. Thirdly, at the foot of the cross, we need to be reminded how much we are loved. The Lord Jesus Christ gave Himself for you. He gave Himself for me. He didn't just do this general death for anyone. It is for those who come to Him. Have you come to Him? Do you still need to come to Him? He loves you. 
But you need to come. And as believers, we need to come. We need to remember how much He loves us. He drank the full cup of God's wrath, which was meant for you and I. We would never have endured it. But He did it on our behalf. That's how much He loves us. He was separated from His Father by the sin that was piled on Him, by the judgment that was piled on Him. Your and my sin. How much does He love you? We need to be reminded. He loves us. Eternally. And then lastly, when you're at the foot of the cross, and you remember what Jesus did for you there, do you take hope? Now, I don't know every single one of your circumstances. I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to know a lot of things, but I don't. I can't read your heart. I don't know what your worries are. I know there's a few less worries now, but... I don't know what you're going through in this week. I don't know what your financial situation is, what your health situation might be. There is hope in Jesus Christ if you kneel at the foot of the cross and you remember what Jesus did there for you. There is a master plan. The cross didn't just happen. It was in God's ordinated time that it happened. At the very precise time in history, on the very millisecond it had to happen, Jesus Christ died. God knew. God knows about you. There's hope, you see. The predictions came true about Jesus Christ. And what is yet predicted will also come true. And we look forward to that day. But the remaining part of God's plan will be realized. God moves the events of history in their proper time. They don't just happen. So how does that, how does the fact that God is in control give us hope for our circumstances? How big is God if His plan is eternally visible to Him? Then what can catch Him by surprise in my situation? What am I to do? I am to get on my knees and I am to say, thank you Lord Jesus that I am part of your plan for my life. Lord, I commit my life to you and everything that may happen. May it be for your glory alone. That's what we pray. That's all we can pray. The rest is worry. The rest is sinful. We need to give it to the Lord. Nothing and no one will, I'm going to use an old word here, are you ready? Nothing and no one will thwart God's purposes and plans. It's the best word I could find. Nothing will influence it at all. Nothing will push God's plans aside. Why? Listen to the words from Isaiah, and with this I close this morning. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the armies, is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. And I want you to pray that with me today. Let's say that together. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. You see, 
Perspective is everything. Is God Jehovah your Savior? Take hope. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, thank you for these words of encouragement, even in the midst of the tragedy of what still had to happen on that cross. Lord, thank you that we can stand back now and see that tragedy as an absolute victory for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you loved us so much, that you were willing to bear the weight of sin, the weight of the judgment of God, on our behalf. And then you rose up from the dead on that third day. Thank you for the hope that is available to every single person here in you, Lord Jesus Christ. May we clutch at that hope. And Lord, if we belong to you, may we know that you are holding us, that you will not let us go. It doesn't matter what happens to us. You are right there in that situation with us. Almighty God, Jehovah is with us. Thank you, Lord, for that hope. We praise you. We glorify your name this morning. Thank you for the hope in Jesus Christ. Amen.